Get ready for unique, rare, and little-known treasures from the golden age of radio. You're listening to The Amazing World of Radio with Adam Graham. Welcome to The Amazing World of Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. And welcome to our spring series. For this series, we're going to focus on Lewis Carroll's immortal classic, Alice in Wonderland. And we will listen to adaptations of Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass that were done by the Columbia Workshop. And then we will listen to the Lux Radio Theater adaptation of the classic Disney film. Well, let's go ahead and we will get started with Alice in Wonderland Part 1, original air date September 26th of 1937. The Columbia Workshop, under the direction of William N. Robeson, presents... Alice in Wonderland. The Columbia Workshop tonight essays a new type of experimentation with this, the first part of its dramatization of Lewis Carroll's classic, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. The music, which has been specially written for the broadcast by Lee Stevens and Paul Starrett, will function not only as radio music usually does in setting scenes and moods, but will also suggest various sound effects. Mr. Robeson, guest director, who adapted and is directing this production, and Irving Reese, the permanent director of the workshop, would like to know what you, the listener, thinks about it. The Columbia Workshop presents Alice in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland, a fairy story of the 19th century. A bit of gossamer flimsy, a fantasy for children. Alice, a fairy story people with human beings, animals that talk like men. Do they mirror men who act like animals? I do not know. I merely wrote a simple story about a little girl for a little girl. Half the world has for 72 years called it childish nonsense. The other half significant social satire. To me, it has always been simple. Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland. Alice, don't fidget so. I beg your pardon, sister. But it is so very dull today. Isn't it tea time yet? Not quite. We're going to tea when I finish the chapter I'm reading. Mm. Oh. Why don't you go and pick some daisies? Oh, it's so dreadfully hot to pick day. daisies. Daisies. <sighs> look. Down there in the grass. A white rabbit. Mm-hmm. Sister, he has a waistcoat on. And look, he's taking a watch out of it. Oh, Alice, what nonsense. Oh, dear, oh, dear. I 
doesn't find either, but there is a little bottle there. Which certainly wasn't here before. Around the neck of the bottle is a paper label with the words, Drink Me, beautifully printed on it in large letters. Drink Me? Hmm, no. I look first and see whether it's marked poison. But the bottle was not marked poison, so Alice ventured to taste it. And finding it very nice, has, in fact, a sort of mixed flavor of cherry tart, custard, pineapple, roast turkey, toffee, and hot buttered toast. She very soon finished it off. What a curious feeling. I must be sure. 
shutting up like a telescope. She is shrinking. She is now only ten inches high. She's about the size to go through the door into the lovely garden now. She's a little nervous, though. Afraid she might shrink too far. Fortunately, nothing more happened. But alas, for poor Alice, she had left the little golden key on the table. And though she could see it quite plainly through the glass, she was now much too small to reach it. Soon her eye fell on the little glass box that was lying under the table. She opened it and found in it a very small cake on which the words, Eat Me, were beautifully marked in currants. top of her head to feel which way she is growing. She is so surprised she quite forgets to speak good English. Her head strikes against the roof of the hall. She is now more than nine feet high. She takes up the little golden key and hurries off to the garden door. Poor Alice. It was as much as she could do, lying down on one side to look into the garden with one eye. But to get through the little door was more hopeless than ever. She sat down and began to cry again. Might well say this. But she went on just the same, shedding gallons of tears until there was a large puddle around her, about four inches deep and reaching halfway down the hall. After a time, she heard a little pattering of feet in the distance, and she hastily dried her eyes as the white rabbit returned. This time, splendidly dressed with a pair of white kid gloves in one hand and a large fan in the other. He came trotting along in a great hurry, muttering to himself as he came. Alice took up the fan and gloves, and as the hall was very hot, she started to fan herself. Jerry, I must be growing small again. I am. Now I'm only two feet high. I shall go out altogether. It must be the fan. It would have been the end of me. 
And Alice finds herself up to her chin in salt water, swimming around in the pool of the tears she had wept when she was nine feet high. I wish I hadn't cried so much. I shall be punished for it now, I suppose, by being drowned in my own tears. That would be a queer thing, to be sure. However, everything is queer today. French book. Translation, Where is my cat? The mouse doesn't like the reference in English or in French. Oh, I beg your pardon. I quite forgot you didn't like cats. Not like cats? But would you like cats if you were me? Well, perhaps not. But I do wish I could show you our cat, Dinah. She's such a capital one for catching mice. <laughs> I do beg your pardon. We won't talk about her anymore, if you'd rather not. Indeed. And then I would talk on such a subject. Our family always hated cats. Nasty, long, vulgar things. Don't let me ever hear the name again. I won't indeed. I promise. High time to go, for the pool was getting quite crowded with the birds and animals that had fallen into it. There was a duck and a dodo, a lorry and an eaglet, and several other curious creatures. Alice led the way, and the whole party swam ashore. They are indeed a queer-looking party as they assemble on the bank. The birds with draggled feathers, the animals with their fur clinging closely to them, and all dripping wet and cross and uncomfortable. The first question, of course, is how to get dry again, and an argument ensues which the dodo, who seems to be a person of some authority, finally all of you, if you really want to get dry, then the uh, best way is a uh, uh, caucus race. What is a caucus race? Why, the, the only way to explain it is uh, uh, to do it. And as you might like to try the thing yourself some winter day, I will tell you how the dodo managed it. First, 
It marked out a race course and thought of a circle. Though it said the exact shape didn't matter. And then everybody was placed along the course here and there. There was no one, two, three in a way, but they began running when they liked and left off when they liked, so that it was not easy to know when the race was over. However, when they had been running half an hour or so, the dodo suddenly called out. The race is over. Just a minute. Just a minute. Let me think. Everybody has won, and all must have prizes. Prizes? But who the prizes? She, of course. Me? Yes, you. Alice had no idea what to do, and in despair, she put her hand in her pocket and pulled out a box of candy. Lucky the salt water had not got into it. And handed them around as prizes. There was exactly one apiece all around. But she must have a prize herself, you know. Of course. What else have you got in your pocket, little girl? Uh, uh, oh, only a thimble. Hand it over here. We beg your acceptance of this uh, elegant timber. And now, while we eat our prizes... I can't eat mine. It's a thimble. Some of you cut his back. Growing to my right size again. But the great question is 
Suddenly, Alice noticed a large mushroom growing near her, about the same height as herself. And on top of it, a large blue caterpillar was sitting with his arms folded, quietly smoking a long hookah. The caterpillar took his languid time about noticing Alice. And uh, who are you? I, uh, I hardly know, sir, just at present. At least I know who I was when I got up this morning. What do you mean by that? Explain yourself. I can't explain myself, I'm afraid, sir, because I'm not... Uh, I'm not myself, you see? I don't see. I'm afraid I can't put it more clearly, for I can't understand it myself to begin with. You see, in so many different sizes in a day is very confusing. It isn't. If you change as much as I have today, you'll feel a little clear, too. Not a bit. Well, perhaps your feelings are different. But it feels very clear to me. You? Well, who are you? I think you ought to tell me who you are first. Why? Oh, I'm afraid you're not getting anywhere at all. Come back here. I've something important to say. What is it? Keep your temper. Is that all? Yes. Good day to you, my dear. But, but... One side will make you grow taller. The other side will make you grow shorter. One side of what? The other side of what? Of the mushroom. Now, how can he tell which of the two sides of the mushroom when it's perfectly round? Maybe if I stretch my arms around as far as they can go and break off a bit of the edge with each hand, there. Now, which is which? I guess I'll try the right hand piece first. As she grew larger, she saw across the top of the mushroom a little house about four feet high. I can never visit that lovely place if I go to my full size, so I'd better stop here. She is nibbling a little on the right hand piece. Now a quick nibble on the left hand piece. She is now established at nine inches. As she approached the house, a fish dressed in a footman's livery, came running out of the wood and rapped loudly on the door. It was opened by another footman in livery, who was really a frog. Alice crept behind a bush to listen as the fish footman presented a great letter nearly as large as himself. For the Duchess, an invitation from the Queen to play quartet. Um, from the Queen. An invitation for the Duchess to play. Okay. They both bowed, and the curls of their white wigs got entangled together. Alice laughed so much at this that she had to run back into the woods for fear of their hearing her. And when she peeped out, the fish footman was gone, and the frog footman was sitting on the ground near the door, staring stupidly up to the sky. Alice went up to the door and knocked. There's no sort of use in knocking. 
And that's for two reasons. First, because I'm on the same side of the door as you are. And second, because they're making so much noise inside that no one could possibly hear you. Please, then, how am I to get in? There might be some sense in your knocking if we have the door between us. For instance, if you were inside, you might knock and I might let you out, you know. But how am I to get in? I shall sit here till tomorrow. Or the next day, maybe. How am I to get in? Are you to get in at all? That's the first question, you know. It's very dreadful the way all you creatures argue. It's enough to drive one crazy. I shall sit here on and off for days and days. But what have I to do? Anything you like. Then I'll go in anywhere. The door leads into a large kitchen. It is full of smoke. The Duchess is sitting on a three-legged stool, nursing a baby. The cook is stirring a large cauldron of soup, and she throws pepper into it by the shaker bowl. A large cat is lying on the hearth, grinning from ear to ear. He doesn't sneeze. Neither does the cook. But everyone else does. began thinking over other children she knew who might do very well as pigs when she was a little startled to see the Cheshire cat sitting in the bough of a tree a few yards off. Hello, Cheshire Puss. Would you please tell me which way I ought to go from here? I don't care. Where? Doesn't matter which way you go. 
What sort of people live around here? Oh, what direction lives the family? What direction lives the market? Is it even both But I don't want to go among mad people. Oh, you can't help vanished quite slowly, beginning with the end of the tail and ending with the grin which remained some time after the rest of it had gone. So ends the first half of the Columbia Workshop dramatization of Alice in Wonderland. Next Sunday at this same time, the workshop will present the second half of this immortal classic, Alice's visit to the Mad Tea Party, the Queen's Croquet Game, the Mock Turtle Story, the Lobster Quadrille, and the exciting climax when all Wonderland attends the trial to determine who stole the toy. The Columbia Workshop radio version of Alice in Wonderland has been adapted and directed by William N. Robeson. Paul Starrett and Leith Stevens wrote the original musical score, and Mr. Stevens conducted the orchestra. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Welcome back. Well, this covers a lot of ground. I've just recently reread the book so that I could uh, uh, talk a bit about this adaptation. And this one seems to be uh, very close to what's in the book with a lot of the dialogue and situations, you know, almost verbatim. I think it was almost a little too faithful to the book with as, as long as it drew out the whole... A shrinking, growing thing, which can be a bit difficult in an adaptation. In many ways, I think uh, the part of the problem is so much of that is her talking to herself and the narrator telling us what's going on. There are more creative ways to convey a situation other than a narrator telling you everything in an audio drama.
But here it's uh, pretty straightforward. Once it gets past the opening, I think it moves along uh, quite a bit better. They made an interesting choice with the Cheshire Cat. The actress tried to make the voice very cat-like, like how a cat would talk, if cats uh, could talk. I don't know whether it's growing up on the Disney film that I have much more of a of a stronger preference for the sort of approach that Disney took in voicing the character not so much so that the character sounds like the animal, but rather so that the character's voice conveys uh, their personality. It's also worth noting the degree to which the music becomes uh, such a big storytelling element. And there are quite a few audio dramas that will turn the music into a character to really help fuel the the listener's imagination. I do think on most modern uh, productions, you will hear that occasionally, though I think they've moved more towards uh, subtle music that subtly sets the mood and is barely noticed. But with Alice, you've got such a visual story and a lot to uh, describe, and the music becomes this really uh, key way of communicating the story. Well, that will be all for now. Join us back here next week for the conclusion of Alice in Wonderland. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.